Katie Griggs used what she called her spiritual name professionally. She called herself Guru Jagat. She was a, a celebrity yoga instructor who swore profusely. She talked about sex and politics and fashion and conspiracies in her classes. She was called an edgy disruptor, unafraid of speaking her mind. She died at 41 this past August. And how many times have I heard this in the past couple of years as a sort of supreme compliment? He or she is unafraid to speak their mind. So the question, is it really such a good thing to be unafraid to speak your mind? Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, was a man who was famously slow to speak his mind. The second man on the moon, Buzz Aldrin, was famously, famously quick to speak his mind. And in the movie, first man Aldrin says something inappropriate, and insensitive about someone who just died, and he follows it with this, I'm only saying what everyone else is thinking. And Armstrong responds casually, maybe you shouldn't. So we, we should be afraid of speaking our minds if the state of our minds isn't correct, isn't proper, isn't, isn't where they should be. So in his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul contrasts people speaking their minds using human wisdom with people speaking words of true wisdom that comes from the mind of God. And he asks, who can know the mind of the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Because the answer in that passage is we can, because God through his spirit has made his mind known to us. And then he says, we have the mind of Christ. And what this means for us is we have God's word, scripture, we have God's spirit, if we're believers, to empower us, guide us, help us speak in line with the mind, the truth of Christ. And so we should, with great courage, speak his mind, at the same time, we should be very careful about speaking our minds. Now, I'm not saying we should be afraid of honesty about what we're struggling with, what we're feeling. This is important to do, especially with people closest to us. But we should be very slow to spout off when we're merely speaking our minds. James warns that no one can tame the tongue. If you're writing today, he would say no one can tame the thumb. Because words are still words whether they're written, whether they're digitized or spoken. And we should be very careful about these kind of words as well. So a quick review of the book of James. The central theme of the letter is this, live out a consistent and undivided commitment to Christ. And to add to that challenge, do this in the face of trials. And we don't have to learn to love trials. We are to learn to love and trust God through trials. And this love for God must show up in action towards others so James makes it clear, salvation is not by works, but salvation is authentic works. Faith without works is not a living faith. In chapter 1, he gave a sort of thumbnail sketch of faith and action. He said we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger is a practical way of saying what Paul said in Philippians 2. This is how you put the interests of others ahead of your own. You have to listen to people to understand them and love them and help them. You have to be slow to speak to not jump to conclusions and jump to judgment. You certainly have to be slow to take up offense if you're going to love people. So this is faith in action, faith at work, faith that works. At the end of chapter 2, he wrote, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In the next section, he jumps into this very practical application of faith at work in our lives, faith at work in our words. And he uses a lot of different everyday examples in this passage to make his primary point. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder of a ship, a forest set on fire by a spark, training animals, springs of water, fruit vines. And that's a lot of examples in 12 verses. Why so many? 
because his point is practical, not just philosophical or theological or theoretical. His point is, don't speak your mind. Speak the mind of Christ. Now, let me read, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, a tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow, that's some strong stuff. So the themes that I picked up, my main two, were the tongue is powerful out of proportion to its size. So we can't be fooled into thinking words don't matter that much. And then second, the tongue is impossible to tame. That doesn't mean we should not try. And it does mean we need to keep it on a leash. Like you have that dog you've been trying to train for years, and you finally say, this dog is never going to live off the leash. But the dog can do okay on a leash. Our tongue is going to have to stay on a leash. We're not going to understand this point, his point in this passage, if we don't see it set in the context of the larger letter. This letter was written to be read in one setting. So just before this, he wrote, faith without works is not real faith. In this section, he addresses a super important work of faith, which is our words, and the source of that work, which is our hearts. And then after this, we'll look at it next week, he asks, who is wise and understanding? Okay, then show it by your life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Your heart, your minds should not give full vent to your words if they're not in line with the mind of Christ. And so then in verse 17, he'll say, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Then in chapter 4, he's going to talk about the fights going on in the local church there. He's building a case for the real cause of interpersonal issues in the church. The root cause of battles between you is the battles that are going on within, within you. So your words are causing trouble because your hearts are still undecided. If you're still double-minded in here, you're living undecided as to who really is the Lord of your life, then you're going to have double tongues, double hearts, double tongues. So if you remember the opening paragraph of James, he warned against being double-minded, and the word is literally double soul, still trying to decide who's going to be the boss of my life. And if our hearts are divided, then, then our tongues are going to be divided, and more on this in just a minute. James is really brilliant in how he lays this out. We tend to move through life seeing the things growing above ground. You drive around and see the wheat, winter wheat, you see trees, but underneath the ground is a whole other world of root causes. And the same is true with our interpersonal issues. We tend to look above ground. There's a whole other world underneath the ground, a world of root causes. So go back to James 3, chapter 1. He begins with a warning about becoming a teacher, not a school teacher, but someone who wants to teach the truth of God. This isn't James's main point. It's a launching pad for his main point about the tongue. James acknowledges that he himself is a teacher. He said, we who teach will be judged more strictly. He's not trying to talk people out of becoming teachers who have the gifting and calling. He wants to impress on us how serious it is to presume to teach the truth of God to others. If you look back to a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how it's not about your truth versus my truth. It's about the very truth of God. And we don't monkey with that. 
It's serious business to presume to speak truth to people. It can impact their lives for time and eternity. And so he jumps from the opening warning, beware teachers, because teaching the truth makes you more accountable to we all stumble in many ways, indicating he's back to speaking to everyone. We all stumble in many ways, he says, but anyone who's perfect in their words is perfect in every way. Words are so hard to control that if someone did perfect the use of the tongue, they could easily perfect the use of their entire body. And you go, really, James? You could, if, you, if you never said wrong things, you could perfect your life? Are you overstating this? I think James knows what we're thinking. He can foresee our objections, so he starts piling on examples of small things with big impacts. A small bit can turn a big horse. A small rudder can steer a big ship. A small spark can start a big fire. A small tongue can make a big boast, can speak from self and not from God. Then he goes from simile, which is the, the tongue is like a bit. The tongue is like a rudder. The tongue is like a spark. The straight up metaphor. Yeah, the tongue is a fire. Is a fire? It's a fire. I'm not exaggerating here. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. Jesus said that the mouth expresses the evil in the heart. So James goes on with, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So if you think this is mere exaggeration, you should consider what words have done in human history, or what they're doing still. Words from Satan set the first couple on the path to the first sin. Think of the misery that flowed from those words. Words have started wars, written and spoken words, words that have led to misery and death for millions of people. In 1948, Karl Marx and Joseph Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto, and I believe that you could draw a straight line from that book to more than 100 million dead in the next century in the Soviet Union, China, Cambodia, other places. Words of broken families and hearts, words of darkened mind and stolen joy forever. So if anything, James is understating, not overstating the power of words. It ought to be terrifying to us. A, a mid-sized car weighs about 3,000 pounds. If it's going 60 miles an hour and it hit a wall and stopped, it would have a net force of about 1.6 million pounds. That's terrifying. We're driving around, and all the parents who have 15-year-old kids are going, yeah, this is terrifying. We're driving around. We ought to be terrified. We're driving around in these steel weapons of destruction, using our phones, eating, painting our toenails, whatever, <laughs> because we're used to cars. And so we lose sight of their explosive power, and we're used to our tongues, and we're used to talking. We fail to see the explosive power there. If you've ever been in an auto accident, you become very vigilant for a while, hypervigilant. I mean, you've got your, your hands here, you're watching, you're blinking, you're moving slow, and then after a while, that hypervigilance starts going away. It's happened to me, and I start becoming less vigilant. And when we blow up a relationship or we wound a heart with our tongues, we become aware, we become hypervigilant, then we get used to our tongues again. So James wants us to wake up and stay awake to the importance and power of our tongues. We live in a world of words like never before. Words are coming at us from everywhere, and we're able to send words out everywhere. So we should be more afraid to speak our minds than we often are, but we can't think that not speaking is the answer. The solution to negative words is not the absence of words, but the presence of the right kind of words, because the world needs words. It needs life words, not death words. You go back to James 1, having established a potential destructive power of the tongue, he circles back around and reminds us how difficult it is to control the tongue. He said, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. And this is a reference to 
us being made in the image of God. We're able to take dominion and exercise stewardship over the animal world, but because of the fall into sin, we can't even take dominion over our own tongues now. No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And James could be saying by no man can tame the tongue to emphasize that only God alone can make this happen, or he could be saying it's just not going to happen. No one can tame the tongue. But either way, this is not just a self-help project. We're going to need to fully trust God and lean into his resources. The tongue is a restless evil, translates the same word James used in chapter 1, verse 8, to describe the double-minded person. They're unstable. So restless and unstable are the same Greek word. Our tongues are not stable because they're connected to our double minds. So we have double tongues because we have double minds. And listen what happens with these double tongues. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. This shouldn't be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So the tongue praises God and curses men who are made in God's image. This just shouldn't be the case. So James is making what comes out of our mouths the measurement of our spiritual condition. Bad things don't produce good things. And so a person who's not walking daily in the presence of God is not going to be able to consistently speak good and helpful words. When we're double-minded on the inside, we're going to be double-tongued and consistent on our speech. So James, like Jesus does, is pushing us forward towards perfection as a consistent direction. We're aiming for perfection, Jesus said in Matthew 5. It's not a destination we're going to reach, but it's a direction we're to aim towards. And the push is important. Consistently, though not perfectly, life-giving words are a product of a heart being renewed day by day in relationship with Christ. Faith works. Faith without works is dead. Words are a super important work of faith, evidence of faith. If our words are not life-giving to others, then we should check the direction of our hearts. So if you're by nature slow to speak, you're sort of a quiet person, you don't throw out a lot of words, this should still challenge you because we're to speak words of life to people and this involves risk. Some people are naturally slow to speak. Some people are slow to speak because they're risk adverse. This is going to mean the risk of saying the wrong thing sometimes. Even though you want to, you're going to say the wrong thing. The risk of being misunderstood. James is not advocating, advocating for living self-protectively risk adverse lives where we hold our tongues to protect ourselves. We're to actively speak words of life to people, the gospel's life words. But we're going to have to deal with our unruly tongues. Because our tongues hate the leash. They hate being leashed to the mind of Christ. When I first began to walk with Christ when I was a sophomore in college at Wichita State, at the end of the day, I would frequently go home and think about all the dumb things I said that day. I was wanting my words to line up with what God was doing in my heart. But, you know, years of practicing saying dumb things didn't go away immediately. And so I memorized all the verses I could find from the Gospels and Proverbs on the tongue. There's a lot of them. So I made a list, I memorized them, thought about them, worked on it, and I was still, at the end of the day, frustrated with all the dumb things I was saying. So I tried for a time to just say fewer words. It's not a terrible strategy. If you're saying dumb things, it's not a bad strategy to stop saying anything. But it's not really the point, because where I was at in what God was doing in ministry, I didn't need to stop talking. People needed to hear words. They needed to hear truth. What needed to happen was my heart needed to change. 
People need to hear words of truth and love and honesty and challenge and rebuke and encouragement and direction. We can't trade stupid words for no words. We have to trade stupid words for life words. We can't tame the tongue, but we can be faithful to have the mind of Christ and then leash our tongues to the mind of Christ. And when you have the mind of Christ in growing fashions, then as you speak your mind, guess what? <laughs> your words are life-giving. You know the phrase, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. It usually means something negative. Well, I say, well, if you have the mind of Christ, then by all means, give people a piece of your mind. If you're not growing and having the mind of Christ, then I assure you, you should be afraid to freely speak your mind. And I'll say it one more time. This is different from speaking honestly about your struggles with close friends. You have to have some people that you can speak mostly in an unfiltered way. But that needs to be a, a pretty small circle. And you have to understand, I'm speaking in an unfiltered way right now because I just need help, not because I think that this, this stuff coming out of my mouth is all true. So Proverbs 25, 11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And what, what the writer of Proverbs is doing is just say, look at this beautiful thing, this handcrafted, beautiful piece of jewelry. That's what a word spoken at the right time, the right way is like. It's just a beautiful thing. And we've all experienced that. And imagine what would happen if we consistently spoke words that brought beauty into the lives of people. And that's what God wants from us. That's what God wants for us. And I, because I think we want this for ourselves as well. We're often just confused as to how it can happen or whether it can really happen. And it can. It can happen as a settled direction, not a destination of perfection. We're not going to ever get there. James says that. If anyone's never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. I find great comfort in that when I say dumb things still. But I also find great challenge in that. I need to move forward. So since it's still New Year-ish, let's make a plan. It's exactly the same plan as last week. So the first part of any good plan is do something. <laughs> and the best plan is the one you'll actually do. That's always the best plan. So this plan is going to involve Read the scripture, pray, worship, fellowship, basic things. And if your walk with God and others becomes box checking, don't stop doing good things that are going to help you tether your tongue to the mind of Christ. Just check your heart and keep doing the good things because those are the very things, time in his word, talking to God, time with God's people, worship, are going to help you tether your tongue to the mind of Christ. The second is live decided, not deciding. That, un, that, that double heart, double soul, double mind inside of us, James says, is what's leading to this double actions on the outside. So we have to continually look at our hearts and say, you're the boss, you're the boss, you're the boss. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Not, am I going to be in today? Am I going to be in today? And then don't quit planting because you're not seeing a harvest. Don't dig up the plant to see if the roots are growing. Galatians 6, 9, don't become weary in doing good. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. If you walk away from the plants that are underground because you're not seeing anything, you're going to walk away and they're going to pop up and shrivel because you just didn't hang in there. Say, well, I want my words to change and they're not changing. I keep messing up. Well, in the short run, if you need to, muzzle your mouth. I mean, bite your tongue. Put a, put a mouthpiece in, whatever you got to do. That's not a terrible strategy, especially if you're going around doing damage with your mouth. In the long run, you have to be after transformed hearts. This is a result of walking in the resources of God, his word, his spirit, and his people. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, no bad tree bears good fruit. 
The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. So changed words flow from changed hearts. How do hearts change? The very next verse in that passage, he said, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Then he gives a parable of the foundation, building your life on a foundation of truth. So hearts change when we walk in obedience to God over time. As our hearts change, our words are going to change. If our words are not changing, it should be like a check engine light. Don't despair. Don't lose hope. Change is your birthright in Christ. Don't settle for less. You can experience heart change that's reflected more and more in life-giving words. Don't despair that no one can tame the tongue. Be encouraged that it can be made to submit to Christ. And just because a tongue is never going to be able to live off the leash, you'd like for it to be. You'd like for it to unleash it and say, just go do your thing. You'll be fine. No, you stay on this leash. Just because it can't be taken off the leash doesn't mean the tongue can't be an instrument of good for others and glory for God and something that could bring us great joy. And the fact that the tongue is not going to be able to live off the leash ought to keep us close to Jesus. So have the mind of Christ, and then as you do, by all means, go speak your mind. One last word on this. As you're thinking about your own words and speaking them and the need for grace, give other people at least as much grace with their words as you want them to give you with theirs. We have to be people who are wanting to speak words of life and then give grace when others fail and their words towards us. I don't mean that you should subject yourself to constant abuse, but I mean the people God's put in your life who are your friends, who are in the battle with you, they're going to fail, just like you are. And you, and, and you have to give them the grace you want from them. We're not going to be perfect, neither will they. Give the same grace to others that you need from God and that you need from others. Let's pray together. This is your chance to talk to God. Talk to Him about your heart. Talk to him about your words. Please don't spend a lot of time beating yourself up over dumb things you've said. Just confess. Ask God to help you to leash your words to the mind of Christ.